Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with our experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Bailey Larson, and joining me for today's episode is Dr. Paige Matthew, Clinical Program Manager for Pain Management, Opioid Safety, and PDMP Program for the VA Capital Healthcare Network about the current state of harms reduction and checking stigma around opioid use disorder. Dr. Matthew oversees pain management and opioid safety programs for veterans across Washington, D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia in her role as Clinical Program Manager at the VA Healthcare System. Welcome, Paige, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with introductions a little bit. You've had enormous success so far in your career and you're even dual BPS certified. Your work has impacted thousands of patients across the VA. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about your career path and what draws you specifically to this specialty of pharmacy? Absolutely. So I started my career within the VA almost 10 years ago, even before knowing which avenue of healthcare I was going to be in. I started working as a pharmacy technician in the VA, and I really liked learning about all of the different things that pharmacists were able to do in terms of being licensed independent practitioners and the way that they were able to function at the top of their licensures. Since joining the VA, I've had a variety of positions, mostly surrounding education to providers. So oftentimes, I know the frontline clinicians, they might have challenges keeping up with the up-to-date guidelines and verbiages, things like that. And so the role I was in was really educating providers on hot topics. Hot topics can span the topics of, you know, antimicrobial stewardship, new heart failure guidelines, but of course, opioid safety is the one that comes up quite a bit and is by far the most. So since then, my role is really revamped to now helping providers in different rural areas build enhanced pain teams and enhanced resources. And my focus is really on areas that are really affected the most by the opioid crisis. A lot of hospitals in rural West Virginia are really where our focuses are. Thank you. It's really interesting to hear about another opportunity for kind of non-traditional pharmacy roles. So how do you guide clinicians to assess a patient's appropriateness for being prescribed an opioid? And what's some of the conversations like that should be had when making these decisions? Yeah. So of course, there are a few objective tools that you know, have really been developed to help us calculate the patient's risk of an opioid overdose. So different risk factors, like maybe the utilization of healthcare services. So if they're frequently coming into the ED, if they have a lot of coexisting mental health comorbidities, of course, many drug interactions and the use of polypharmacy, but then other things that might not be as intuitive. So something that could lead to a patient's increased risk of overdose could be their use of a CPAP machine. Of course, that would increase the risk of overdose, especially overnight, but it might not be on the front of patients' lines. Also, things like COPD, you know, something that will decrease their lung capacity. And so with those objective risk scores, of course, there's a lot of patient-specific factors and nuances. Patients pass risk of suicide, maybe PTSD or other situations like that. So again, all of these things are very patient-specific. We can't just look at a number or a risk percentage and make it seem like we have to go based on that. I think it always has to be a conversation. So having that risk benefit discussion at first with the patient, kind of laying out the expectations of what we're thinking about when looking at pain treatment, even just laying out the parameters and saying, this is gonna be a trial of an opioid medication. We're gonna try this out for two months. We're gonna see if this helps and then let them reassess from there. That way it really gives more of the onus on the patient themselves than that way they can figure out, you know, is this actually working for me? 
and really not signing them up for a lifetime of opioid supply. And of course, you know, any pain clinician, you want to make sure that there's other modalities on board. So either pharmacologic modalities that are not opioid related and then other non-pharmacologic treatment options. It's really interesting to hear about some of those comorbidities that you're describing. I'm sure the providers so appreciate your work and your partnership with them. I hear you mentioned non-pharmacologic treatment options. So as a pharmacist, how do you specifically work with other healthcare providers, such as the physicians you mentioned and therapists, to ensure that your patients receive comprehensive care for pain management? I think with any pain management team, the focus is that word team, right? So you don't want to just think about what can we prescribe the patient to feel better. Within the VA, the reason I really like working in there is there's a really big focus on the biopsychosocial approach. So let's break that word down, biopsychosocial. So thinking about the patient themselves, you know, what is their story? Maybe they're coming in right now with low back pain, but let's really dive into their whole history. What might be adding to that back pain? Maybe they had a history of a trauma or a PTSD from the past, especially with our veterans. Maybe every time they come in to the VA to get their healthcare system or come into the hospital, they get anxious because they had a family member die of COVID or something like that. Maybe they tried physical therapy. They tried a weight loss program, but someone said it didn't work for them. And so they feel like they failed and they don't want to try it again. Maybe they got injured. So then they're getting nervous every time they try to do something like a physical therapy exercise. So I think that whole person approach is really important. And of course, that's where a lot of our other clinicians and colleagues come in you know, working closely with a pain psychologist who can do CBT for chronic pain, working closely with those physical therapists who can say, hey, I understand that you're nervous because you had a prior injury and we don't want you to be scared to try to do that. Because of course, when you're trying an exercise and you're guarded, you might increase the risk of an injury, right? So, you know, working closely with those teams Additionally, the VA has a really big focus on the whole health approach. So those complementary and integrative medicine modalities. So things like Tai Chi, mindfulness, yoga, all of those things can really help put a veteran in a good place and really can be beneficial for patients overall who are suffering with chronic pain. We want to make sure we can get patients to the point where pain isn't interfering with their whole lives. We want to be able to increase their function. And so setting that expectation early on and using a team-based approach makes patients realize, you know, pills aren't going to be able to fix everything, but we've got a team that you can work with to help you along the way. This just highlights how the VA really does have such a successful model for patient care. And I appreciated hearing you talk about comprehensive medication management and that it's really about establishing a plan for the patient that's so much more than just the medication and really focusing on their whole health approach. What strategies do you use to monitor patients who are taking opioids long-term and how do you help manage any side effects or complications that I'm sure come up or patients may be anxious about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, laying it out in the beginning when you're talking to patients about the risk-benefit discussion, it's important to set the expectations. You know, we will be checking things like the state prescription drug monitoring program or the PDMP and more to ensure their safety. We want to make sure they're not taking, you know, other medications that might cause interactions and lead to an increased risk of overdose or another unintended event. Things like checking urine drug screens. Again, the focus is safety. The focus shouldn't be on us trying to catch something in the urine. You know, I think every time you frame this conversation, you have to be conscious of that verbiage that you use. We're really focusing on the patient's safety. Thinking about, you know, signed informed consent in the chart, things like that. I think, you know, one of the things that really 
kind of threw a little bit of a wrench into things was when COVID happened, right? A lot of our providers were able to see our patients at a regular interval, maybe once every six months or so, it's depending. But of course, everything was thrown into a loop with COVID. And that regularity of the face-to-face follow-up visits really took a toll. And so now that telehealth is really expanding and the opportunity to have those follow-up visits virtually, we have to think about what can we do virtually and still will assess, you know, what we need to that previously we were able to do with a face-to-face visit. So, you know, for instance, one of the nurse practitioners I work with, when a patient comes into the office, she will actually peek out in the waiting room and take a look at her patient sitting there. If her patient looks like they're falling asleep or they're, you know, kind of really sluggish behavior, that might make her realize like maybe the dose of opioids that the patient's receiving might be way too high. If they're just falling asleep after five minutes, what is their function looking like? What can we expect them to be doing when they're at home? They're not up and active. They might actually be, you know, experiencing side effects of opioids, but the patient might not think of it like that. So there are things you can view face-to-face that certainly can't be recreated over virtual. So I think it's always going to be a tug in both directions to see how we can manage those patients long-term. Yeah, definitely highlight some of the benefits of having in-person visits back and just the prospective model instead of retrospective and catching some of those risk mitigation strategies from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So I really liked hearing some of the specifics of your kind of clinical practice and how you partner with providers. I want to shift a little bit to talk about stigma. I know that you speak about this a lot and it's really important to you. So how do you address the stigma that surrounds OUD in your practice and what strategies do you use to help reduce that stigma? Yeah, absolutely. So I think before we can even talk about stigma that a patient might experience, we should first recognize that stigma actually does exist in the healthcare setting. Now, of course, stigma isn't a new topic, but it really is an important one because patients who do experience stigma in the healthcare setting are less likely to seek out the services that they desperately need. So if you put yourself in a patient's shoes, let's just for a moment, think about the last time you went to a doctor and somewhere between the waiting room to the office, maybe you had to go to the lab and then the pharmacy, even in the parking lot by the time you left, someone you interacted with made you feel like they were judging you. Now, after that, you might think back on that entire experience as being negative, and it might lead you to prolong going back there for as long as possible next time. You'll also be less likely to candidly share your struggles and challenges with your health condition and maybe your compliance to that regimen. I'll be the first to admit, every time I go to the dentist and I'm asked if I floss every day, if I feel like I'm being judged by my answer, I will lie right there and I'll say, yes, I do. So I personally cannot blame a patient for not wanting to admit a missed dose or taking an extra dose if the way that they're being confronted seems like they're going to be judged. I even think about, you know, stigma within even recognizing that you're seeking treatment. Even five years ago, I think it wasn't common for someone to admit, hey, I go see a therapist. I have a psychologist. I take medications for mental health. But I do think that, you know, we mentioned telehealth. I think the availability of those resources now and the ability that people have when they're talking about seeking mental health care has normalized it. And it's really shifted that stigma away from that. So now it might be common for someone to endorse saying, I take medications because I do experience depression. And so just being able to talk about it and have that conversation is really important. So I do think that as healthcare providers, you know, we have to recognize that the stigma might be there. The more you talk about it, it's going to make it a lot more easy for patients to talk about things as well. What are some success stories you've witnessed in your practice in terms of reducing stigma around opioid use disorder? 
Yeah. So one thing that my clinicians have done recently is we almost did a bit of a language review. So we focused in on our note templates, things that might've been in place for years and said, Hey, if I was reading this note in my chart as a patient, what might not sit right. I actually encourage you guys to do this. So take a look at any of your note templates related to pain, opioids, maybe substance use disorders, and try to comb through that verbiage with a fine tooth comb. See if there's anything that might not sound great if it was read by a patient. This seems super simple, but you would be surprised at the number of phrases that we saw within this review. And these are within templates. So they might be in hundreds or potentially thousands of patients' charts right now. So again, it's a quick verbiage check. It's really easy to do, and it's probably very easy to fix if you find something. I do think every industry has to do something like this every few years, and why not healthcare providers as well? And if you don't believe me, I challenge you to go and watch a stand-up comedian set from maybe 20 or even 10 years ago, or an old episode of your favorite sitcom. I guarantee you'll hear some things which might have been okay to say back then, but you would not be caught dead saying that now. So I think there's got to be good ways to be able to check this thing and be able to read that. Yeah, that's so true. Those are really good lessons learned from your experiences. What are some ways healthcare providers can more fully understand the bias and stigma that patients with opioid use disorder face? So one way I was able to check this bias and realize early on in my healthcare training that patients are experiencing this stigma. During school, we had an assignment. I was pursuing a chemical dependency certificate, and we had an assignment to go to a local pharmacy, so Walgreens CVS, and ask for a clean syringe. Say you wanted to purchase syringes. And if the pharmacist there said, is this for diabetes or for insulin? You had to say no. So, you know, I was living in downtown Seattle at the time. Heroin use was very, very rampant. I went to the local CVS and I immediately saw the shift, you know, that the people behind the counter were treating me with when I had said, I want syringes. It's not for diabetes. It's for something else. I was eventually able to purchase those syringes, but after debriefing with my other classmates, some of them were actually refused purchase syringes. So, you know, it might be hard for us as healthcare providers to fathom someone having to reuse or share a syringe. But after that experience, seeing how hard it was to go and legitimately buy a syringe, I unfortunately could understand how that might be the case. Thankfully, as a very recent, naloxone is OTC, but before that, and still before it's really implemented nationwide, I was looking into being able to get a naloxone kit for myself. You know, I live right now in downtown Washington, D.C. I ride the metro. I walk through a lot of different neighborhoods. There's all sorts of potential opportunities for me to save someone who might be at risk. I might as well practice what I've been preaching. So I was able to contact the Department of Health, and I got a list of participating pharmacies who were providing free Narcan. Thankfully, our Department of Health was sponsoring this. So I was able to show up at the local pharmacy, give my name and date of birth, and walk out with a free kit. Easy as that. Thankfully, I did not experience any stigma when I experienced that. I got a two pack of naloxone. I keep one in my house and then one in my travel bag as I'm kind of walking around. I shared this experience with my pain team and they were all very excited to do that as well. So I actually encouraged about 40 people to go and get the kits for themselves. And you know how great that now all of these clinicians can go to their patients and say, hey, they themselves have a kit as well. What a great way to break down that potential stigma. And again, increase the visibility and being able to talk about these things. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's a really easy and practical thing that we can all do. And for those like us that live in DC, I know that you can get free kits online as well. Do you have any last thoughts you want to share with listeners, Paige, about maybe your practice or anything else related to stigma? 
I really just think that, again, you know, people might say, I can't relate to the patient who has opioid use disorder. But again, these days, I think almost everyone has some sort of personal connection to the opioid crisis. So maybe it takes them sharing that experience to allow patients to open up. Again, sadly, you see it a lot in the news. You might hear family members or, you know, friends of friends. One of the people I work with said that in their high school graduating class, 10% of them have died from the opioid overdose in their region. And so, you know, when you hear these stories, it can really impact you. I think that as healthcare providers, we're the best ambassadors to kind of be proponents of these efforts, whether you can advocate for, you know, increasing availability of harms reduction, or even just having to shift someone's mindset about the availability of naloxone. You know, there's little things that we can do, but we are well-equipped to have these conversations with your colleagues, your leadership, and wherever you work, or even just family and friends outside of healthcare. Because again, this crisis is affecting a lot of us. And so really just want to empower you to actually start having these conversations. Thank you so much. I respect you so much and all the work that you do managing the pharmacists and pharmacy professionals that work on these care teams for the veterans. So that's all the time we have for today. Just want to thank you again, Paige, for joining us to discuss prescribing for pain management and your discussion about non-farm treatment. And finally, the stigma reduction efforts, principles, and best practices that you shared. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Hot Topics in Pharmacy. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast for more great content. Thanks. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.